What's up, everybody? Welcome to the No Picks After Dark podcast with your host, Aaron Dante, who brings you the hottest interviews with the dopest people sharing their experiences all across the world. Now, here's your host, Aaron Dante. Welcome to the No Picks After Dark podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Dante. Welcome to October Surprise Part 2. We got some heat coming for you for October, baby. I'm so excited for you guys to listen. We have Councilman Ryan Dorsey kicking off October Surprise Part 2. We also have Amber Wetland coming in. She's dropping some jewels and gems. We have Chamira. You can call her my drop some jewels and gems also for this first episode. We also have this show will be on YouTube. So if you have a YouTube, you can check out the video version of this and see how exciting, see the facial expressions. You can see everything on YouTube. So check out the No Pixel for Dark podcast YouTube channel. You got to check that out. All of this month's videos I and mean, interviews will be on YouTube. Also, October 30th, live show at Open Works Baltimore. You got to check it out. You definitely got to check it out. Shout out to Xenia Films for filming this video with Ryan, with Councilman Ryan Dorsey. It was so Good to have him. He's a neighbor in the building. We really appreciate all the love and support. We'll be right back at these matches, folks. Buckle your seatbelts. Visit your neighborhood sanctuary and do wellness for a luxurious experience for everybody. Treat yourself and a loved one with a massage, facial, or an entire day of pampering with our deluxe spa day packages that include lunch from the restaurant next door, fire and rice. For more information, on booking or purchasing gift cards, visit their website at indowellness.com or call at 443-438-4048. They look forward to welcoming you and your loved ones to their beautiful new space at Soha Union, located at 4801 Harper Road, Suite 1. Greetings, everyone. My name is Chamara E. Fleming, but you can call me my... And I am the host of the Purple Charm Experience podcast. I'm also a romance author and motivational blogger. And today I have an announcement for you. I have a new book coming out. And it's book three in my series, the Purple Charm series. Where my first book is The Violet Rose. The second book is Three's a Charm. Both of those books are available now on Amazon as well as barnesandnoble.com. Now, if you love romance as much as I do, then you'll love books one and two in my series. But let me tell you, the third book is also just as phenomenal. And let me tell you why. When copper and oxygen yields she, and in a stark white testing lab is where you'll find a 5'7 brown beauty, cool with cocoa brown skin, hair like your nest of kin, and logically, this is where this romantic journey begins. At one point in her life, Dr. Zora St. James always knew the elements of her chemical reaction with Dr. Stokely Allen had the potential for the hottest reaction. That was until he... Dr. Langston Mitchell steps on the scene. Soon, Zora realizes her relationship with Stokely isn't enough. Her heart wanted more, 
And as fate would have it, she meets an angel investor, Dr. Langston Mitchell, and her life's trajectory changes. This equation gives a chemical reaction exploding with romance of epic proportions. Like I said, if you love realistic and complex characters with compelling stories that will leave you breathless and longing for more, stories that are emotionally gripping with satisfying steamy love scenes that you'll fall in love with, then you'll definitely want to pick up my books, especially this sexy page turner. The pre-order will be announced soon. And I advise you now to make sure that you get your copy. If you want to find out more about me and my books, please check out my website, www.creativecalfrey.com. Thanks again, Aaron. Back to you. The No Picks After Dark podcast is proudly partnered with Remix Bar and Grill. Located at 819 East Pratt Street, just north of Harbor East. Remix is a sports bar offering a sole food menu. With over 20 TVs, pool tables, outdoor patio seating, and private rooms, Remix is set up to be your premier downtown destination to watch all your favorite sporting events. Open from 11 a.m. until 11 p.m. Monday through Thursday, 11 a.m. to 12 a.m. Friday and Saturday, and 11 a.m. to 10 p.m. Sunday. Check out Remix Bar and Grill on Instagram and Facebook under at R-Y-M-K-S Baltimore for daily happy hour specials and weekly events. Remix Baltimore. Hi everyone, it's Amber Wenland, your neighborhood urban designer. I want to talk today about my favorite street in the city, which is North Avenue. Uh, some of you might be surprised to hear me say North Avenue, but... This particular street is one of the few completely commercial and civic corridors in Baltimore. Uh, it's anchored by so many different institutions, um, museums like the Great Blacks and Wax Museum, um, institutions like Coppin and MICA, um, all kinds of wonderful amenities and lots of retail along that particular corridor. Um, and it also connects East Baltimore to West Baltimore. So there's really just kind of so I could go on and on, but there's so many great things about North Avenue. And, um, you know, unfortunately, North Avenue is truly an epicenter of disinvestment in Baltimore City. Um, yet it has so much potential. It has the infrastructure to be an incredible artery that unites and ties the city together. And I've kind of long had a passion to um, do a really progressive master plan and redesign for North Avenue. Um, and so I bring this up because the state just passed legislation to establish the West North Avenue Development Authority. Um, this authority is created to develop a kind of comprehensive revitalization strategy for West North Avenue, um, stretching from um, approximately Coppin to, to Micah. So it's, it's a, a long breadth of that particular avenue. And the goal is that they are creating um, a framework for different stakeholders to work hand in hand. So the authority is chaired by the president of Coppin State and has all kinds of representatives at the table from community leaders to uh, the president of MICA and many others. Um, so this authority is created to support development 
and revitalization of West North Avenue. Um, but part of that will hopefully be to create a comprehensive plan um, before starting to deploy some of that development. And um, the plan ideally will include many residents, different neighborhood groups, um, t- discuss housing, economic development, transportation, um, a- hopefully be a very comprehensive look at North Avenue. Um, but one thing that I really hope that this plan and this redevelopment authority focuses on is both equity and also really pushes the envelope on what a street could be, a street like North Avenue. There's so many wonderful examples across the world of amazing streets. And um, I know that Baltimore sometimes has a hard time thinking outside the box. And I really hope that um, as this continues to move forward, that some really progressive and um, great ideas come out of this effort. At Fishnet, every plate served starts with the freshest, high-quality fish sourced from local waters whenever possible. You get fine dining excellence delivered in a cozy, unpretentious, fast-casual setting. Delicious does not even begin to describe it. Everything I've tried is made from scratch and incredible. The best fish I've ever had. Check them out for lunch or dinner at Mount Vernon Marketplace. Get caught in the Fishnet. You'll be glad you did. Menu and details at eatfishnet.com. Welcome to the No Picks After Dark podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Dante. Today, we have a very, very fun show for you folks. This guy has been on the episode not once, not twice, but three times. The first three-time winner on the show. And it's an honor (laughs) and pleasure to have him on the show. I mean, without further ado, Councilman Ryan Dorsey, how are you? I'm good, if not hyped up, you know. We got to get people hyped, man. We got to get people hyped, hyped for the show, man. Hey, man, just as long as we don't let them down, right? We can't let them down. Okay. You know, we did a little snippet like before like before the season started, and people were like, when's this show going to come out with Councilman Dorsey? <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, you going to have some excitement? Yeah, we did. So I'm so excited to have him on the show. You know, again, he's in my, I mean, his, I'm in his district. Not once or twice. If you're brand new to the show, I lived on the other side of the tracks, I call it. So I lived over in Hillen area, and then I moved over to Walterson. So again, I, just, I, guess, I guess I wanted to hang around him further. I don't know. Well, the, the, the real challenge here is, is having a conversation here for the recording as if we don't see each other like once a week anyway, right? We do. We do. <laughs> we do. You know, but that's a sign of a good councilman. I, you know, you always see him in the community, always helping out, always making sure, you know, helping. There's Ivy and doing had my chainsaw things. out over the weekend we had a big storm brought down a lot of trees particularly over in original northwood blocking streets we unfortunately had some fall on some houses and cars and i got out there in the morning with the chainsaw nice yeah. nice so we brought you back because it was time to come back as i said we're going to do this either every six months or now it's gonna be like a year almost it's been a little too long well the world's been a little slow yeah <laughs> the last time you and i spoke there was no COVID wasn't around. Is that right? Was yeah. that long ago? No, I'm telling you were on last year um, when I, I call it October sweepstakes, and it was you. No, at, that was like five months into COVID. No, it was. Oh, okay, yeah, you're, yeah. Right, you're right. You're right. You're right. But we said, but we said we were going to do this like every three months, and then we didn't. You're right. So no, you're that's right. on that's on me. You're I'll right. Take that. You know, I get confused with the years now. 
I mean, somebody <laughs> suggested to me, right? We're in uh, August of 2021. Somebody suggested to me a while ago, somebody should put forth a city council ordinance to officially recognize 2019 as last year. I feel like it because I don't really remember 2020. I felt like I lost a year of my life. Did it even happen? <laughs> I don't think so. No, well, it did. And it well, was, it did. But it we, did. We, had, we lost a, a half a million people in this country to COVID-19 in 2020 it was a really tragic and challenging year for a lot of people in a lot of different ways um so you know hopefully we're moving in the right direction with the mayor uh reinstating the mask mandate and things like that yeah yeah well that's a hot topic that's mm-hmm. a hot topic we'll mm-hmm. get into a whole bunch of a lot of those things so let's let's talk about what things have you learned from the first term that you did because i remember it was re-election was coming up all that good stuff and you had it wasn't election yet for the primary, but you kind of knew you were going to win your district. But what have you learned from the first time for your first couple of years? Now you got reelected. What did you learn? There's a lot of different aspects to uh, like kind of operating in the political world. Um, and there are some like kind of um, uh, not cliche, but like staple kind of phrases that people use. One of them is like, you know, no permanent friends or enemies. Right. Uh, you work with people where you have to and things like that. And one of the things I guess I was thinking about just now is is kind of there there really aren't any one-size-fits-all uh, solutions or approaches to getting things done. Um, very different uh, legislating atmosphere this term from last term. Um, and in a lot of ways, you know, you find yourself being surprised at, like, you know, who your allies are, who your adversaries are. And um, you find you and, and that ha- and that can change on a case by case basis. So um, one of the things I think I learned going that the, from my first term that I think I still carry with me is like throw a lot of irons in the fire and just see what comes out. And um, the more you try to do, I feel like the more you actually get done. Um, I know you wanted to ask a little bit more about like some you know, successes that I had last term, things I want to do this term. So, you know, I think that's a good way to talk about this. Stuff Let's too. go into it. I mean, again, what success I means success. What things can you say I campaigned on and I made it happen? Oh, I mean, I'm wearing a Baltimore Complete Streets T-shirt here oh, right now. Strategically, I mean, look at you. Yeah. Okay, that look, was a good one. I probably shouldn't wear this because people like <laughs> overemphasize the extent to which like Ryan Dorsey just cares about bike lanes, and that's it. Like, there's we've been there, done that previous episodes. Yeah, that's yeah. not true at all. Right? Um, I do. I care about it, and I think there are a lot of reasons why more people should care about it. And the outcomes of investing in bike infrastructure uh, are uh, are many and varied. Um, and touch on all aspects of our lives. Um, but, but, you know, I also put forth the ballot initiative to create the inspector general's office. Um, we, um, I think I talked about this last time too, you know, just kind of the rundown. We, we passed, um, anti-discrimination law around source of income for housing. Um, and that was part of a trend that happened that year where a couple of other Maryland counties passed it and then the state lo- statewide version of the legislation was passed. Um, and um, we passed an Administrative Procedures Act. You know, like, look, you kind of have to be a little bit of a nerd to be like, you know, administrative law is like actually really important. But okay, administrative law is actually really important. Um, Baltimore City 
does not or did not have anything in place where it's like if you want to know the rules and regulations around how you interact with government how you know what you can expect of your government when you're engaged in a process that's something that you should be able to look up easily and find easily and it should all be in some kind of orderly codified way we don't have anything like that in baltimore city we're the only jurisdiction in maryland only major jurisdiction in maryland without an administrative procedures act and that was one of the things that we passed toward the end of uh, the term last year i also had some bills that were vetoed at the end of the term things that i'm taking up again this term okay i, I love i love getting the audience a little background of everything that's going on for the year you know it's, it's been now what about with covid i know it's been challenging you guys been in at home um, there's a perception that in the social media atmosphere that the council team, they don't do anything. Everybody just like nothing really gets passed or, you know, there's that word that I don't really like using the word defund the police, things of that nature. Um, you know, just your thoughts on like with the challenges that you guys have had going through this year, as far as not being in person, doing legislation, stuff like that. It's a two part question, I guess. All right, I'll probably forget one part and ask you to repeat it. No problem. Um, you know, in terms of the council like operating, functioning, we're not really any different than we were last term pre-COVID. Um, we still meet with the same basic level of frequency in terms of like the full council meeting on average twice a month throughout the year. We're a full-time legislature. We're basically never out of session except for like, the few weeks between the very end and very beginning of a term when you got a new mayor or city council president coming in or, you know, their newly elected, reelected terms are coming up. Um, and, uh, and we continue to hold uh, committee hearings on a pretty frequent basis, unlike the state, for example, that can mostly hold its committee hearings just during the three-month uh, legislative session at the beginning of the year, we have routine business that we have to handle, like land use bills. Um, and we also have to move forward on things that the state enabled us to do during its late le legislative session that we've got to like move through all of our processes uh, subsequently and hopefully before the next state legislative session comes up. So we continue to operate at a committee level um, year round and, and I sit on the committee, for example, that hears all the land use and zoning bills to allow for development and you know housing and business stuff to move forward in a routine fashion. So we do, you know, continue to do the work. Um, and, uh, you know, maybe, you know, the, the bigger picture legislative stuff is sometimes, uh, it's, it's, it's often slower moving stuff. I've got bills that I haven't even had drafted that are top priorities for me this term. It takes time to get bills drafted and then, you know, kind of shop them around maybe before you introduce them. Make sure you clear away some of the biggest obstacles so that you don't have to fight with people in when, once a bill is in committee and things like that. Um, you know, you want to know that it, a bill has some sort of a shot and some level of support before you even get it in. Um, and some of these things are complex. So that takes uh, a lot of kind of upfront and background work. Um, what was the second part of the question? Defund the police. Defund the police is a phrase that is, you know, often about or generally about 
um, the understanding that all of the things that we expect police to do to bring about desired outcomes um, are things that are better achieved by other means. And so, you know, it's not as so much defund police as fund things that actually work and recognize that the money to uh, actually fund those things is tied up in something that absolutely does not work, and that's policing. Um, and, um, you know, we have a, tr a challenge here in the city particularly where we are under consent decree. We as a city opted to be under a consent decree and have a judge basically telling us what we can and cannot do with respect to policing specifically. Um, and one of the challenges of dealing with Judge Bredar is that he's basically said, you cannot take money away from the police to put into alternative programs until you already have those alternative programs stood up mm. and proving to yield the benefits that you say they're going to yield. There's no regard for the fact that the police definitely are not yielding those benefits while we are funding them, and there would be no loss in benefits, because there are none, to taking the money from the police up front. But he has made plain, you can't take the money away from the police to fund these other things. You're going to have to come up with that money from somewhere else. So, for example, if we wanted to increase um, uh, funding to DOT, to their safety division, to hand off the uh, responsibility for, like, responding to car crashes and doing those reports instead of police doing that stuff. Well, we might have to take that money from housing code enforcement. We might have to take that money from homeless services. We might have to take that money from solid waste management. We don't know exactly where that money would have to come from, any of a number of places, but definitely not the police department. Because if we did that, we would face Judge Bredar telling us, uh, placing the city in contempt of court um, and possibly appointing a receiver uh, to be in charge of the police department, meaning he would take control of our police department away from us entirely. Um, and those that would be really bad. Um, and so we're in a challenging situation, um, but I think that we have you know, a lot of support for uh, making changes and people working hard to figure out how to make these changes in a way that won't run us afoul of that. It's also the case that we have uh, probably a better DOJ now under President Biden than we did under the previous administration. And so maybe the prevailing mindset there is going to change a little bit and things will become more permissive. Now, I didn't have this on the questions, but I saw it this morning. And just your name popped up in the article. So the Baltimore Brew came out. And I was appalled by this, actually, that we have people who work, and I have neighbors, let me, let me preference, I have neighbors who are firefighters in Baltimore City, that I didn't know that they, there were some that people that worked for the fire department lived in PA. Lived, Three of the four deputy chiefs of the department. Live in PA, 
they drive these cars back and home, back forth, and there's more cars that go out every night. One guy lives in Eastern Shore, and we pay as taxpayers, pay for that for their for the, and I guess they were grandfathered in to what was going. On. I mean, that's there's just, kind of a lot going on. There's there. a lot going on in that, but um, you, you commented on that, so I just wanted to. Yeah, talk about that. I didn't just comment on it. I mean, <laughs> I've led this issue. I've led the awareness of this issue. I've been asking about the fire department's take-home vehicle policy every year during the budget, and so um, the third year that I asked about it, they knew it was coming, and so they developed a uh, they actually developed a policy. So it was like totally off the cuff, ad hoc. The chief just like handing out take-home vehicles to whoever he wanted um no policy whatsoever and so coming into the third year that i that they knew i was going to ask about it in the budget hearings they quickly developed a policy by every account that i've heard their policy development um uh, approach was to basically survey the people who already had take-home vehicles find out who was the farthest away from the city and then say your maximum allowed distance is just a little bit farther than that farthest away person uh, on uh, and, and then and so then they they uh and this is really it's a totally wild like bastardization of what other places do they talk about like uh measuring the distance uh that is traveled based on the farthest away firehouse within the jurisdiction but it's just it, that's not ex the way that we're doing that they're doing it is nothing like what other jurisdictions do. Um, so they're basically measuring, uh, you know, up to 60 miles from the farthest out firehouse in Baltimore City. And so, uh, even though that that's not where this person has any responsibility at all and and saying, hey, you're within 60 miles, so it's OK. And it, there's no there's there's no justification for like. Uh, you're doing this because they are going to provide better service to the citizens of Baltimore City by getting somewhere an hour and a half after they get a call. Like that's, I mean, they're not, you're not talking about an emergency response by any stretch of the imagination at that point. You're literally not a first responder. You are a last responder in such a circumstance. Um, and in some of these cases, you've got, a deputy chief who has their take-home vehicle going back and forth to Pennsylvania. They've got uh, basically what amounts to a personal assistant who also has a take-home vehicle. And then when those two people get to the workplace from their homes in their citizen-paid, ta uh, taxpayer-paid vehicle, there's a third vehicle waiting there just for the assistant to drive the deputy chief around in. I, I can't make this make sense, man. I'm speechless. No Picks After Dark podcast is proudly sponsored by OpenWorks Baltimore. OpenWorks is Baltimore's largest makerspace, offering access to tools ranging from 3D printers to welders and training in how to use them. OpenWorks also offers affordable studio space, a coffee shop, and fun and free events throughout the year. But OpenWorks is more than a public workshop. It's a community of creative professionals, students, seniors, entrepreneurs, and makers of all kinds. Check out the website at www.openworksbmore.org or Instagram at 
open underscore works underscore be more for class schedules, membership options, and more. <clears throat> and folks, we are back with Councilman Ryan Dorsey. He was dropping some jewels and gems and some truth bombs, and I'm like, we had to take a real quick pause and uh, gather. I gathered myself real quick. Yeah, I dropped a little bit more while we were offline here. Yeah, we don't need that. It's that, hot. People can't get those exclusives. They can't get those exclusives, but uh, uh, definitely. So let's talk a little bit about where we live, um, Northwest Shopping Plaza. Well, this is me really quick. Northwest Shopping Plaza, what's going on with that? It's under redevelopment. Morgan is going to have a couple of their campus operations moved to the site, but mostly it's just going to be a glorified strip mall. I'm pretty disappointed with the overall development plan. I think it, it could have been something that wouldn't disappoint for the next two generations if it had four or five housing stories on it to really increase density on the area, something much more sustainable, make the community even more resilient, add diversity to the community. Um but as it is, it's just like a little slice of Hunt Valley in our backyard here. Um, other things that are going on in the district. Well, like, well, yeah. I did. You did say once upon you was it one of our episodes before. Yeah. You talked about how you reached out to a fitness center to come here, and I was very disappointing because now I know what the place. I know the place you were talking about because I saw it off ninety five, and I'm disappointed I didn't have. We didn't get a fitness center. Like, and I know there's a plan of fits, but. We talk about health, you know, like mm -hmm. why wouldn't you put a gym in this area? I, that would make sense. But I guess the powers that be don't believe that we need a gym over here. Well, look, I think that this is it dovetails with why there should have been uh, housing densification there is that um, higher density housing ensures a certain level of usership for all of the different types of businesses that could be there. Um, but because we're not adding housing density there and it's basically a sea of parking along a strip mall. Um, it's been challenging to attract the highest quality retailers. And then with that, or not just retailers, but commercial tenants. Um, but, and, 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 and with that, you know, you struggle to get any tenants at all. You end up with less diversity in what you're able to get. So like we end up with like five different national chain, carry out fast-ish food kind of places and then you're just like but we're getting a chipotle so everything's great right <laughs> well you know i always i was talking to friends the other day and i'm like why hasn't morgan partnered with the baltimore city to get a hotel away for morgan students for families when they come in town i always never understood that you have to go to towson to get them that's the closest hotel I mean, we, we, I mean, we got we got hotels in the city. There's plenty of hotels in the city, including one that the city, for dubious reasons, owns. Right? <laughs> so, um, it's you got ho hotel issues in the city, and and the and there have been conversations before my time. There were conversations about potentially putting a hotel on that site. Right. Um, but honestly. The biggest issue isn't where are people going to stay for a night or two here and there. It's where are people going to live? We have a massive housing shortage in the city to say nothing of the incredible housing shortage that Morgan has for its students. And it's worsening. Uh, I mean, they're housing students on the other side of town Cross in a Keys. hotel at Cross Keys. I saw that. And yeah. have been for several years. I did not know that until that article came out. I had no idea mm -hmm. they were staying at Cross Keys. Mm -hmm. Wow. Wow. Okay. So 
The bridge. Everybody talks about the Hartford Road yeah, Bridge. Yeah, Hartford Road Bridge. It's going to reopen this November, and I'm really excited about what the design is going to hold in store. It's going to have. Uh, it's going to go from being a, basically like a highway with two lanes of car travel in each direction and a like really unsafe feeling sidewalk on each side to having just one lane of travel for cars in each direction plus a southbound bus lane um, to help prioritize transit along there, uh, particularly for like morning rush hour. Uh, getting people to work. Um, it's also going to have a southbound bike lane to help connect people from the north side of Herring Run Park down to uh, Lake Montebello on that side of the street. Um, there's also going to be a big, wide, uh, multi-directional, multi-use path on the other side of the street. Um, and that's going to connect into a two-way cycle facility through the Mayfield neighborhood immediately south to help continue that connectivity from Lauraville on the north side uh, and Arcadia on the north side of Herring Run Park all the way down into the Coldstream Homestead Montebello neighborhood and into Clifton Park uh, eventually to continue all the way down and on to um, uh, onto St. Lowe Drive in the park there. And all of this is part of, you know, what I'm really happy to see as a continual, uh, continually growing effort to create connectivity in this part of the city connecting these kind of communities uh we're seeing some streetscaping now on echo dale avenue to try to make it a little safer traveling east west from the harford road corridor to to pairing parkway and vice versa um, we're also going to see an extension of the Hamilton Business District streetscape to the north up to where Hamilton Elementary Middle School is. And then next year, we will see a continuation of that same streetscape design from Northern Parkway up to the county line. Oh, wow. So we're really expanding this along this corridor to create connectivity and a more cohesive business kind of community. And that's work with Graham, Corley, Corley Allen. Will he be doing that? Uh, no, this is a straight-up DOT project, okay, okay. Um, just like we did in the Hamilton Business District. Graham has done some really cool di uh, work right out, uh, right outside of your studio here through the Design for Distancing program from BDC. Of course, I'd like to see more of that. Um, we're also going to start to see uh, we've got a pending policy change coming from the mayor's office um, uh, shortly, something I've been working on with them to make it easier for communities to contribute to streetscapes so that when we do basic stuff with paint and flex posts, like we see in the, um, through the quick build program in the city, um, that can, communities can start to contribute it by um, placing, say, like planters into those streetscapes um, for, you know, flowers and plants and things like that uh, without facing uh odd objections from the city so we're going to see a policy that makes that um more approachable for communities that's nice nice and then i heard about an, uh, a park that you guys are working on north harford road park is that what it yeah so okay. we got a couple of meetings uh coming up next week um i don't know when you're going to release the episode uh, it'll, it'll, it'll be, be in the past so i'm past. saying next it'll week be, no, but, you past. know by the time you listen to this you know we had these couple of meetings <laughs> a couple of weeks ago and they went wonderfully <laughs> people came out with all these great ideas about how look it's all about you know uh how we're gonna f make a future investment in this site uh north harford park which is just basically a big empty field um that doesn't have any city programming on it, doesn't have consistent uh, or robust uh, private programming, you know, uh, renting that, you know, um, uh, reserving those fields for anything like that. 
Um, you can look at it and see how disinvested it is from the condition of the tennis courts that are there, completely unplayable. Um, we're going to see those tennis courts actually converted into basketball courts, new asphalt surfacing, new basketball courts there um, coming up this year. But then uh, we're looking at what we're going to do for the future of that site, hopefully with a three or four million dollar investment or more. Uh, I'm, I'm pushing as a kind of a top priority to add a significant size skate park in that location. Nice, nice. All right. The No Picks After Dark podcast is fueled by Zeke's Coffee. Have you tried their coffee yet? I'm telling you, there is something different about it. Maybe it's because they roast their beans in a fluid coffee roaster, which provides the most accurate roasting temperatures and made with love. You will just have to check it out for yourself and try their delicious food while you're at it. Open now for curbside service, carryout, and delivery, and they also do wholesale. Visit Zeke's Coffee at 4719 Harford Road. Open Monday through Friday, 7 a.m. to 6 p.m. and Sunday, 8 to 5 p.m. Kitchen closes at 3 p.m. Or visit Zeke'sCoffee.com and you too can be fueled by Zeke's. So that sounds amazing about North Harford, the, the park. I really enjoy hearing about that. Yeah. Gubernatorial rides. What's going on? Good, I'm saying it wrong, but you no, know, gubernatorial. I mean, tell me a little bit about that. I You mentioned it and I was kind of thrown off a little bit. What's this going on with? So for a little while, I've been doing these bike rides around my district, like once a month, just open to the public. Anybody can come along. Uh, we spend about two hours on a Saturday morning riding about 10 miles, super casual. We have people come out. They've only, you know, some of them have never ridden a bike a mile before and they make it through and it's fine. Uh, and it's, it's great. Uh, and I plan a different route each time. Uh, somebody said, and then I started, I had the mayor out to do one. I had delegate Regina Boyce do one with me. Um, and, and then I was like, you know, I should hit up all these people running for governor. And so I put it out on Twitter and these folks jumped at it. Uh, so just in the last week I had bike rides. I did it. I planned one route and took them all on the same route, but individually and more or less one-on-one. Uh, some of them brought staff. Um, I had John Barron. John King, Wes Moore, Doug Gansler, and Tom Perez. Each of them came out and did a ride with me. They all brought their own bike, uh, and we had a good conversation. I had good conversations with all of them. I got a feel for where they're all at on different things, just um, the scope of their perspective on different issues, things like that. Good conversations, good time. Okay, that, that's, that's a new one. I, I like that. I, I feel like, like it's important to, like, you know um, – to my constituents to show that I'm doing something to bring people at a bigger scale of government into their community and really emphasize the importance of this community, not just to Baltimore, but to the state. I thought I did see um, Perez. I thought you, I saw that. You might have seen, um, uh, seen us drenched because it was pouring rain and uh, it was fun to be undeterred by that. <laughs> so... Was it hard to get a hold of these guys? Like, I mean, I mean, can you give us I a little I literally scene? put up one tweet and my inbox, my DMs were just like, hey, we're interested. Like, minutes. Within minutes. Maybe. Perez's people were trying to do it the next day. Nah. And I was like, uh, I hadn't planned on this kind of response. I didn't even plan to make that tweet. I just did it off the cuff. And so, uh, you know, it took about a week and a half before we did the first ride. But we did five in six days. You know what have been really cool? You should have recorded it. That'd been really dope. But like, you know, you know how like James Corgan does like his car thing? That'd been kinda cool. Riding a bike, you know, the camera guy riding in front of you guys. And you know, it'd been kinda cool is to get the insights of like really what's 
the real deal. And like, you're out of breath. They're going to talk, you know? I mean, if you want that vibe, uh, Brandon Scott has had a, um, a documentary crew following him around for a while. Um, and when he came out on the ride with me a couple of months ago, they were um, riding like right in front of us the whole time, filming out the back of a vehicle. Um, and, and so the mayor was just like, well, I'm going to ride out front the whole time. He was, you know, he set the pace for all of us. It was good. That's funny. That is so funny. Uh, wow. What was your impressions of, the conversation were they genuine? Were they all yeah? Everybody's place? genuine. I think that people have varying uh, levels of awareness of what's going on in Baltimore City, or even within the city, this part of the city. Um, and uh, some of them came, you know, briefed on like what my top issues are, and they brought them up. Um, and some of them just, you know, just like uh, came whatever off the cuff conversation. And I did a lot of kind of just talking about what we were seeing along the way, too. It was very much a tour of this. Um, I tried to hit all the different parts of the district. Um, I think we went through about, like, 11 different neighborhoods. I love it. I love I love learning new things. That's really cool. So what legislation are you working on now going forward? Um, I'm going to be introducing something related to towing. Yay, okay. super okay. exciting I knew, subject. I knew about that. Um, no, but uh, towers are predators, and we need to rein them in. And uh, my effort to do that last term was not successful. It was vetoed by the outgoing mayor. I've got a, a new bill on that um, that's scaled down a little bit and that really focuses on the worst offenders. And um, is really reflective of what was uh, highlighted in a report from U.S. PERG uh, not too long ago, and there was a New York Times article written about that report. Uh, so looking forward to that uh, and having the support of Ma uh, Maryland PERG and Maryland Consumer Rights Coalition, who's also done really good work on towing stuff. Um, but the really big thing for me this term is on addressing exclusionary zoning. Uh, Baltimore, like a lot of places, uh, has a zoning code that is basically a... Um, constitutionally worded uh, codification of the principles of redlining. Basically, we have a plan for how we keep our city segregated and stratified, um, and we cling to it for dear life. Um, for example, um, and it, it makes kind of arbitrary uh, distinctions. So in a row home, in Sandtown, Winchester, you might have 2,500 square feet and be allowed to convert that into two or three apartments. But if you have a house here in Lauraville that's, say, 3,000 square feet, even larger, it can, under no circumstances, ever be anything more than one dwelling unit. And so we're restricting the ability not only for us to create housing units during a housing crisis, but we're making it so that you cannot live in this neighborhood unless you have a credit score in order to be able to get a mortgage and money in the bank in order to make a down payment for uh, to the purchasing of a home. Uh, we are severely limiting the opportunity for people to move to areas of opportunity like this, where you have decent transit access, you've got a walkable corridor here, you have multiple grocery stores, and instead we're relegating people to communities that are food deserts and transit deserts and places where we have been uh, left disinvested for generations. Um, and so uh, 
my biggest priority this term is in uh, kind of deconstructing our zoning code in order to allow for bigger places like this to be able to be converted into more housing units so that people have an opportunity to move to opportunity. Well, I'm, I'm going I'm to counter you on this. So what would you say to people who say, hey, I moved here just for that reason, to live in an area where I don't have to really worry about the different zoning and rezoning? You know, I pay my taxes just like everybody else, but you want to have, like, you know, I mean, I guess that's my thought, like, when I, I'm just throwing devil's advocate at you. Mm-hmm. I moved here. I know people who moved to the county because they wanted certain areas. They wanted to be certain places. Um, what do you tell your constituents who don't like to hear that? That's what they moved here for. That was a reason. And you want to have that land. You don't want an apartment complex in the backyard. You don't want that. You don't want, you want it what you want. Does your property devalue from that? I don't know. I'm just throwing things out there to you. Yeah, so uh, I, I think first at the basic level is like I'm doing this because the system that we have is wrong. It's inherently rooted in redlining, and we espouse to care about that as a part of our ugly history and something that needs to be reversed. And so I believe in principle that this is the right thing to do, even if we've clung to the wrong thing for a long time. And so people's indoctrination into the wrong system should not be an impediment for us to change that system. If we are talking about systemic change and structural change, this is a system that is literally a structure for how we remain segregated as a city and keep people from, um, keep us from affirmatively furthering fair housing the way that we should. Um, Second of all, in a more kind of like uh, crude or uh, terse kind of way, it's like what you do with your property is your business. I'm not telling you that you have to convert your place into two apartments. I'm also not saying that the place next to you is gonna turn into a high rise. Uh, what I'm saying is that many of the most like choice neighborhoods in the city have multifamily housing in them, and it didn't bring down the neighborhood, gotcha. right? And so uh, creating modest increases to density aren't just about uh, creating, creating opportunity for people to live in, these, in, in good neighborhoods, um, so, so-called good neighborhoods, <laughs> but also um, in bolstering the ability, as we talked about before with Northwood Plaza, is like creating a modest increase in housing density is good for the businesses, that the, the, the ability to attract and sustain the kind of businesses I think that a lot of people want in their neighborhoods. I love it. I love what you're saying. I love what you're talking about here. I definitely get, get it. So let's... Switch topics a little bit. Um, you and I have spoken about a couple things that have happened in your personal life. Yep. And I remember you and I had, I had a conversation because you were riding your bike around the neighborhood. And just, it was very, just, it was really nice that we talked and just about personal issues. And it was very nice you opened up. The No Picks After Dark podcast is proudly sponsored by Maggie's Farm. Located at 4341 Hartford Road. Maggie's Farm offers a unique dining experience with delicious handcrafted cocktails and mouth-awarding cuisine from falafel to scallops and everyone's favorite honey sriracha cauliflower wings. Open for dinner from 4 p.m. until 10 p.m. Wednesday through Saturday and serving brunch Saturday 11 a.m. to 3 p.m. and Sunday from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. with delectable chicken and waffles, shrimp and grits, biscuits and gravy and more. 
Check out Maggie's Farm on Instagram and Facebook for daily and weekly food specials as well. Yeah, and you I, know, oh, look, we were both like... <clears throat> it, was, it was a bad day for both of us. We were talking about some things that were going on. We were there. both just like, hey, man, why have we been trying to get together and doing this recording for, like, months right. and then not making a half? And we kept seeing each other and be like, oh, we got to get some on the books, you know? Oh, yeah, let's do that. And then it didn't happen. It didn't happen. And but we were both just kind of like, man, you know what? I'm just, like, going through it. Like, we were. I'm, we I'm were. Just, like, burned out a little bit and just got a lot going on in my life. And, um, we talked about, you know, what was going on in our respective lives for me at that moment. It was, um, recovering from a pregnancy loss with my wife. Um, and, um, uh, it's something that I started to open up to you about because we need to talk about pregnancy loss more. We need to talk about miscarriage more. Um, and particularly, I think men need to talk about it, right? Um, there's this, the, one of the prime reasons that it doesn't get talked about is um, because there's a long-standing stigma around, you know, you always hear like, well, don't, you know, you don't want to make any announcements about pregnancy until you're out of the first trimester. That's wholly rooted in like a sense of stigma around pregnancy loss that like, you don't, I, you know, there, I think there are a lot of reasons for it, but, um, but so we don't talk about it. And then we kind of suffer quietly unless it happens to us. And then we start to talk to other people, you know, that we're really close to. And then we're like, Oh, like this happens to a lot of people. This is like super normal. Why is it stigmatized? Um, and, uh, you know, research shows uh, is it, research is not great on it, partly because it's so stigmatized that people don't talk about it. Um, and in some cases don't even seek medical assistance with it. And also partly because when it happens really early, a lot of uh, pregnancy loss occurs even before a person even knows they were pregnant. And so um, reports, statistics range from, you know, one in 10 to one in four. Somebody said to me the other day, somewhere between one and three and one and four pregnancies um, uh, are lost. Um, so it's a very frequent occurrence. Um, and I, I opened up about it um, when a bill was being introduced just recently by uh, Representative Ayanna Presley and Senator Tammy Duck Duckworth um, to create uh, opportunity for people to grieve and take uh, leave time from work when they're experiencing pregnancy loss. Um, and, uh, you know, I just want to encourage everybody to be very supportive of that bill uh, at the federal level. Um, I think that just the introduction of it is an important part of furthering the conversation about how we should normalize this and destigmatize this. Um, but if you've been through this, you know, um, you know, it's challenging and, um, and, and you also know that you can talk to people about it. Yeah. I, I, when you told me, you know, it brought me back, um, I want to say I was six years old, I, five or six. And I remember talk, I remember it was my birthday and my mom, um, went to labor mm. and it was a preemie, obviously. And it was tough on me as a child because I didn't know like what's going on. Like, I can't wait to have this baby sister. And I remember, you know, you know, passed away, the baby passed away, it's a preemie. Mm -hmm. 
And I maybe till this day, I still may not have recovered from that mentally. Mm. And when you think about it, I was six years old, six, five or six years old at that time period. And I have not returned to the graveyard since then. Mm. So when you said that, it immediately flashed back to my childhood and how that kind of shaped your childhood. And then I think about, I have friends who have lost kids um, several times and we don't talk about it. We don't talk about it at all. And these are good guy friends. We just don't talk about it. And then when we do talk about it, it's like a weird, like awkward conversation. You know, you don't know what to say. And, you know, and I was proud. I was happy that you were able to talk to me about it. Cause I was like, that's really dope, you know? And then you did it on Twitter and I was kind of like, okay, okay. That's how the new, that's how the, the generation does it now. I guess, you know, tweeted out. I don't, for me, it's such a personal thing. But I guess that's the way other people do things. I don't well, know. and this is, I, I think that, you know, I have a responsibility. I have a public visibility and platform that I think that if I think that we should be talking about something at a much greater level frequency, that I have a responsibility to be a direct contributor in that um, and share my experience. Um, and my wife had just also recently had an art show up where she talked about it in the uh, statement piece on the exhibition uh, right here in the community where we live. Um, so, you know, uh, it's both intimate but also public. Um, and I think that, that that part of the issue and part of why I touched on that Twitter thread, um, my Twitter's at elect Ryan Dorsey. Um, <laughs> part of what I talked about in that is uh, being understanding, accepting also of people not knowing the right thing to say. Like, for example, like, I've had a lot of people say to me, like, you know, this past, you guys are going to be great parents. Like, you don't know that. You don't know that we're actually going to conceive a child and carry it to term and that it's going to be healthy and live. Let's be honest about that. And Maybe I'd be a terrible parent. I don't know. But, like, you know, so that's maybe not what I want to hear. And, and it, it's maybe not accurate. Um, and, uh, you know, I think about, so there are a variety of things that are maybe not the best thing to say. You know, I know know I'm in grieving one of the most, um, powerful and meaningful, just simple phrases that we can use to respond to people, you know, with the loss of a loved one or, uh, whether somebody's going through any of a number of difficult things is, you know, this must be difficult for you and just open ourselves up to being, able to listen and to have a conversation. This must be difficult for you. Um, not making any other conclusions about future outcomes or anything like that. Uh, I'm not a social worker and I don't study anything like that, but my sister's a social worker. Her husband is my mom's a public health nurse. And, you know, I don't know, that's maybe just one thing that has stuck with me over the years. Well, I really appreciate you sharing it with the, with the people of Baltimore and just worldwide about what you were going through and what you were grieving through. So that, Really appreciate that, and that I think, I think you've healed and helped other people. I hope uh, so by, by by doing that again, you know. So again, I mean, what is some? Uh, I know this is like I don't want anybody going down in a sad moment on the episode, <laughs> you know. But um, what is the last thing you want to leave with us today? Because I want to wrap this beautiful episode up in a bow. Um, you know, I, I think I kind of half expected you to ask me about like what records I've been listening to and things like nah, that. You did that last I time. I did, I did, but we're gonna. You're gonna I think. Right, I think that's up. a good way to end it, though. It means yeah. a smooth, smooth transition. It, 
are, are, is a transition. How smooth can a transition really be? Come on now. Let me just do a plug here. Okay, for the, okay you can do a shameless, listen to it already. shameless plug. Go ahead. No, it's not even for me. It's, um, yo, the new Black Midi record is so incredible. Uh, I've listened to this record like dozens of times now. These dudes rip. And um, it's such a great follow-up record to their, their first uh, full-length release. These uh, young British dudes just ripping. So if you haven't listened to it, go check out the Black Midi record. Um, I don't know, man. We got good things going on here locally and around the across the country, around the world. Um, I just feel like uh the positive vibe that we can close on is you know just like that the positive vibes are there if you're looking for them man hey folks do i sound like a hippie or what no nah, no nah, we got some positive vibes up here in northeast baltimore we did uh, we just had a huge article it won't it's already it'll be passed but huge article about the amazing restaurants up here in the baltimore sun that mm-hmm. just came out so we have we have soha street market shout out to them shout out to sam with soha developing getting this things going you know we're in the studios right here it wouldn't be again Shout out to Zedia Films who's doing this right now. Shout out for them. You know, my neighbors down in the hall, they said, hey, let's make this happen. So, again, it's a community effort, and I really appreciate everybody listening. And, again, this will be an, this is going to be the October surprise, again, part two. <laughs> so, again, thank you guys so much for listening. Ryan, where can we find you on Twitter? TikTok, Instagram, because we need we need we need, All right. we need a TikTok I'm, from you. I, I'm not on TikTok. TikTok. We need you a TikTok. We yeah, I, I guess. I mean, um, uh, but I'm on Twitter mostly. Just catch me on Twitter. I like I post on Facebook like every three months now. I don't even mess around with it like that. Um, but I'm on Twitter at Electron Dorsey. I post on Instagram pretty infrequently too, but that's also at Electron Dorsey. And if people don't have a Twitter. How can they get a hold of you? Email, what's the word? What's the best way of getting to you? I mean, if you're trying to schedule something or like talk yeah. about what well, is, use my city email address, ryan.dorsey at baltimorecity.gov. All right, folks. Love, peace, and happiness. We're out. <laughs>